Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games a bit like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is an award-winning journalist, presenter and one half of the comedy double act Scummy Mummies. Born in South London in 2001, my guest joined Sony and wrote the manuals for first-party PlayStation games. She moved into journalism, covering games for a variety of publications, including Eurogamer, The Guardian, Metro and Vice. In 2013, she met aspiring comic Helen Thorne, and together the pair decided to form a double act to celebrate the scummier side of parenting. Since then, they have toured the UK to packed out venues and launched one of the world's most popular parenting podcasts, examining everything from mental health to politics, 
wine to sex. My guest has continued to play games, however, appearing as a co-presenter in Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit TV series and via streaming marathons on Twitch. Welcome, Ellie Gibson. Hello! That is a very impressive impressively put together biography first of all i thought for a minute you were saying i was born in 2001 which i really enjoyed um is that just knowledge you've accumulated from all the years i've known you over beers or is that just you just logged all that information for this moment right well yeah so it was a combination of knowing you as a friend also google and then also i wanted to tell you this have you heard of this website millions of celebs.com no what's millions of celebs.com am i on it you are on it I and it's oh, it's, so not, it's not even like written by an AI or anything. I think it's written by maybe someone for whom English is not their first language, I would say, but it's got loads of Ellie Gibson facts. So do you want to hear some yeah. of them and you can confirm or deny? Yeah, I'll say true okay. or false. I won't read out all of them, but some of them are Ellie Gibson is married to her husband Peter, with whom she has two sons. True. True story. True. Okay. They have been cherishing a soothing married life since their nuptial tie. <laughs> false. 100% false. Not today, not ever. <laughs> she gives pro tips to her children to know what they should play and how long they should play. I'm always giving pro tips. I'm always like, right, darling, when you finish brushing your teeth, I've got some pro tips for you. So come into the right, lounge. Yeah. That's right. Good. What do you, what do you advise them to play, by the way? Oh, I've given up really on all that sort of nonsense. They don't listen to me. I just, they don't care. I love that. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, do you know how much the temptation is now? Because I've got massive ego to just get off this Zoom as quickly as possible and just Google myself. There's more to come, Ellie, by the way. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go on, Simon. <laughs> just two last ones. Which you're... Let's talk about me some more. I'm very much enjoying it. Okay. Ellie Gibson's actual age is yet to be disclosed. Right. <laughs> well, born in 2001, that would make me, hang on. Gibson hasn't disclosed her <laughs> net worth details publicly but she has been a veteran video games journalist and stand-up comedian for the last few years. Her net worth is estimated in the millions. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I choose to live in Catford. I could afford to, I could be in Beverly Hills right now. I could be in Dulwich Village, but no, Catford, that's where I live with all my millions of dollars. That's amazing. I need to go back and, and edit the intro then a bit, I think. Include some of those facts. Yeah, no, you need to. <laughs> also, um, I wasn't aware of that website, but I'm also on the excellent website Wikifeet. Have you heard of Wikifeet? Oh, God. Is it, yeah. is it, is it pictures of women's feet? It's pictures of women's feet. Oh, no. And my feet are on there. Because, like, one time I took a picture of my legs because I've got some Sonic the Hedgehog leggings. So yeah. there's a picture of that. And another time I broke my toe chasing my son down a beach on a school trip. So I sent a picture of it to Dr. Range over the internet and that's on there. <laughs> right. And uh, and I've got an ongoing rivalry with my close personal friend, TV's Cherry Healy, because she's also on Wikibeat. And we have an ongoing, and our right. ratings are quite similar. And they tend to like, yeah. So if anyone listening is... is uh, who's, who's in the lead at the moment? Oh, it's usually Healy, to be honest. She she has got very nice okay. feet and she is actually famous. So she's got those two things going for her, I feel like. She's got an unfair advantage. Also, her feet are nicer. I've got very strange feet. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a way to pass the time, isn't it? Yeah, right. What's the business Ooh. model then? Then are they Do they um, sell upgrades if you want to see more feet or, or is it just they put ads around the feet? They just do it for the love of it, Simon. Have you never created something just for the sheer joy of making art? Oh yeah, of course. My mistake, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, I mean, speaking of your feet, you're about to, you're about to go on a trek. 
What a link. I am going to use them <laughs> very soon. That's right, Simon. So, um, yeah, tell us about it. On, on Friday, you're off to Kathmandu, is that Yes, right? so today is Wednesday. Shit, fuck, shit, fuck, shit. Are we allowed to swear? <laughs> sure. Done it now. Done it now. Uh, shit, fuck. Um, yeah, so on Friday, uh, my comedy partner, close personal friend and business associate, Helen Thorne and I, are going to fly to Kathmandu, where together with some other people, we're going to trek to uh, the base of Mount Everest, where we will perform a 30-minute comedy show and hopefully break the record for the highest stand-up comedy gig on land. I have to say on land because annoyingly, Dara O'Brien and some of his TV comedy mates yeah. uh, went have done it on a plane. So, right. But that okay. man will do anything for a British Airways sandwich <laughs> if it's complimentary. So, you know, you've had it on your podcast, you know. So have you done some, <laughs> uh, have you, done some you know, Everest-related material? Are you... Are you- there's some jokes about yetis and all that stuff. Well, it's tough, isn't it? We've got 10 days to get there, right? So the trek just to get there is 10 days. So basically, right. we're hoping to just write it on the way. <laughs> um, I have got, uh, uh, yeah, we did. I was talking to a friend and I said, he said, who's the audience? And I said, well, you know, yeah. it's other trekkers um, and Sherpas. And also it's going to be some of the climbers who are actually, because they're in the right season for the climbers who are uh-huh. actually going to attempt to climb Everest, which I think just for the record is an insane thing to do uh-huh. um, because obviously you've got quite a high chance of death. Um, sure. So There's quite a yeah, few bodies so, on there between base camp and yeah. they're just preserved forever from the 1930s or whatever. And if you're really whatever. sick and macabre, you can go on YouTube, Simon, you can look at videos of those oh, bodies. Really? But oh, I never do that because I just sit to normal wholesome content like Wikifeet. So um, there's that. But um, yeah, so I said to my friend this and he was like, so you know what that means? It means that for some of these people, this will be the last comedy they ever see. Ah, uh, one I was like, oh, we better be funny. Yeah, you should open with that. And then I told that story to someone else the other day and they were like, you've got to use that in the show. You've got to say that in the show. And I'm like, I don't know how funny people are going to uh, find uh, that. And then what if one of them does die? Uh, uh. Like, You could definitely do a joke you about you dying if no one laughs, I suppose. <laughs> Oh, we'll work it out. It'll we always great. do. We'll of work course. it out. Yeah. At the end of the day, the tickets are a pound. Do you know what I mean? If they're going to complain, they can <laughs> buckle. Well, um, tell me, uh, tell me about when games first entered your life. So, did you were you playing games at a, at a young age? Uh, yeah, I, I do remember the first time I ever saw a video game, and as I am, I'm very old. Uh, I do remember it was at my friends um, Megan and Nancy's house. And they had, I think, they had, these are the rubber keys. What's the rubber key ones? The a Spectrum, yeah. Spectrum, yeah. And and obviously the rubber keys were very, very fast. I must have been about six, I don't know. And, and they had Jet Set Willy. And I do remember seeing that and going, oh, you can press a button and you, it makes the telly, do, it makes something happen on the telly and thinking that was mad. But their house was brilliant. Because well, this is the 80s, right? They still had an air raid shelter in their garden. Oh, wow, cool. It's like an actual underground corrugated iron air raid shelter which you could go in and sort of hang out in because again in the 80s nobody worried about things like that collapsing on children's <laughs> heads and suffocating them it was just a different time it was like nuclear holocaust might be a bomb down there doesn't matter right yeah so yeah and that was the first time i remember seeing one and i remember i just remember that so vid- vividly it was properly yeah, like bad. what's that what's that yeah yeah you look at it now of course it just it's like cfax is a piece of shit but it was mind-blowing at the time yeah it was so popular wasn't it jet set willie willie it was like a real phenomenon in, in britain at that time wasn't it? as i say there wasn't a lot else to do yeah and so did you did you get a spectrum at some point or what was the first computer your family your family got hold of i never got a spectrum my dad had an amstrad uh 8512 i think it was word processor which was black and white so he had some text games on that that were always impossibly right. hard and then 
at a church jumble set. And then I said, we'd go around Richard friends' houses and play their machines, but we never, we could never afford one. And then I went to a church jumble sale and I found like an old, was it a binatone or like a pong, like properly with the twisty mm-hmm. controllers. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I, pl- mm. I brought that home and I hooked it up to the TV and was able to play an appalling tennis game, like a photocopy for about half an hour, at which point I was very bored. And then, of course, I'd managed to detune all the television channels. My dad was absolutely furious. <laughs> so that was, well, I think that was 50p or wow. something, the, the first console I ever owned. Yeah. Well, the uh, the premise of the podcast, Ellie, is I've asked you to pick the five video games you want to install in your very own perfect games machine. Um your first one, I guess, is from not too long after that. Um, can you tell us about it from 1988? Can you, what's the game and how did you first encounter it and why did you love it? Oh, the first game I've chosen, Simon. Another <laughs> on a game show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first game I have chosen is New Zealand Story Q Montage. <laughs> played this game at my friend's Rosalind's house so uh, Rosalind she was an only child and had richer parents than me so she had those two things going for her uh, and I used to love going to her house um, because it was in Dulwich very nice and her parents um, were both theatrical types Graham and Trish lovely lovely people and they would have the Les Miserables soundtrack on all day <laughs> which I thought was just marvellous mm. yeah and she had an Amiga uh, which again was something that we we never had in my family. And she had Amiga, and it had I think three games. We had Thundercats. We liked that, but we couldn't get far past the first level. So, <laughs> uh, and we had Buggy Boy, which was a little kart racing thing, which was quite fun. And we had New Zealand Story, which if you've not played it, is this game where you're a little yellow. I think you're a Kiwi or something, and you're on this little island in well New Zealand. Obviously, the clues in the name, and there's a giant walrus. I can't. It now feels like a dream now I'm describing it to you, but it did really happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really loved it. So years later, when I got my first sort of computer, my dad bought me a secondhand Amstrad CPC 464 and drove me to Shepherd's Bush to collect it, which will never let me forget because we live in South East London. That's like going to Aberdeen, basically. <laughs> and that was one of the first games I bought for it for three ninety nine yeah. in the game shop in Bromley. I bought New Zealand Story and all the memories came fl- flooding back. And eventually I completed it, which we were never able to do on the Amiga. So. Oh, gold memories. Amazing. Yeah. Are you still in contact with the, with that friend? I am. I saw her just the other Did week. She came, Ros, lovely Rosie. She came to our show in um, Catford. Uh, she's got two sons as well. But she lives out in the country now. But we, um, yeah, it's one of those friendships you've had all your life. So you sort of, it doesn't matter that you can't go to the pub every week or that you don't even chat on WhatsApp every day. You know, we just send each other little messages now and again. and Or we'll often hear something funny on the radio or something or, you know, about a game we used to play or something and have a have a laugh about that. Aww. So, yeah, that's Oh, nice. that's so nice, yeah. And you, I mean, the cliches that I suppose in the 80s and early 90s as well, like video games were just the preserve of boys. Like that's the what was presented in media and on telly and films and all that. But it seems like uh, you you and your friend uh, Roslyn were, were the not the exception to the rule, but you were you had found a little friend to, to play games with. Did you have any sense that uh, th- this was something that wasn't meant to be for girls or was it not like that at all? I didn't know, uh, to be honest. And again, as I say, the, f- the first game I saw was with other women or girls, Megan and Nancy. Like I just didn't realise till I was older that it was this 
thing for boys. And I think even when I got into like the sort of Sega Nintendo era, those games were sort of almost Disney-like, weren't they? In certain terms of the bright colours and the yeah, sort of yeah. safety. I didn't realise there was this whole other world to come of Doom and <laughs> FIFA and Call of Duty. All those games, you people with testicles like. Uh. And so, yeah, I, I, it wasn't until I was older that I was conscious that liking games was an unusual or weird thing for a girl at all. No, Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's how it should be. And I wish it continued to be like that. But um, And you're... Y- yeah. y- but you, you people, with your bloody means of the patriarchy, right, right, Simon, what are we going to do this week to fuck the birds up? Oh, I tell you what, why do we make them feel weird for playing video games? Fucking brilliant. Right, Jeff, write that down. Write it on the whiteboard. I can't believe you got a hold of our minutes, Ellie. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, because you had to do them over Zoom in the lockdown, you see. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've been capturing it all. So you, you mentioned your dad. They're driving you to Shepherd's Bush heroically. Yeah, uh, his name's uh, Jim Barkley, <laughs> isn't it? And he was uh, alternate alternative, even comic, in the 80s, wasn't he? And um, well, you were aware of, uh, yes. of that part of his life. You know, he was performing alongside... Uh, pretty famous people, Alexi Sale and people like that. Was that a, was that part of it? Oh, he never stops banging on about all that. Yeah, no, he was. Yeah, yeah. So he was one of the first wave of alternative comedians. And you don't really hear the term alternative comedy much anymore. But it is for anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's comedians. They they sort of were like, hang on a minute, let's not do racist jokes or mother-in-law jokes or you know, or th- th- there are other things we can make fun of, like Thatcher uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. That was a very big thing for my dad. So yeah, I grew up. Um, uh, yeah, sort of. Knowing that he did that, not really understanding it and not really giving much of a monkey's. Uh, but uh. just a couple of years ago, so in, in my double act now, Scummy Mummies with Helen, we wear these gold cat suits. That's our signature look. And a couple of years ago, I found a photo of him in a gold cat suit. No way. And I'd forgotten that he used to do a character called Wonder Wally, who was an alien from the planet Zanussi and had come to Earth and all this. And there's this photo of, oh my God, I've ripped off my dad's <laughs> act. But I'm not, I'm not paying for him. It's tough luck. Did he ever take you along to any of his shows or, or was it all happening very late at night? I do. It, mostly it was the comedy store. So mostly it was late at night and uptown and I wasn't there. But he used to do a lot of benefits. They used to do a lot of rallies for CND and the Anti-Nazi League and the Miners' Strike and all that super right stuff. He claims, he claims to have done a benefit gig in Hyde Park to a million people. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that you can fit a million people in Hyde Park, but that's what he claims. Wow. Him and Taylor Swift, they broke the million mark in Hyde Park. That's right. Jim Barclay, Taylor Swift, they're both right up there with the Thatcher jokes. Hers are very good, actually. I don't know. But they had to stop taking me to like CND rallies because I started having nightmares, nightmares about the... Um, the uh, nuclear bomb coming from Russia and right, killing us right. all. So we had to stop going to Green and Common. We just went to Thorpe Park <laughs> yeah. instead the next week and I had a much better time. Especially with yeah. uh, Jet Set Willy in the uh, in the, in the the nuclear bunker at the end of the, the road. It's quite quite impressive for this you. This is my thing. Right? Which, for you, right? we're of a similar yeah. age, are we? Yeah. Born in, what, 2000? We were sure, 2003. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Was your childhood like dominated by the perpetual threat of nuclear holocaust? Because it often feels like mine sort of was. I don't I? Th- I was aware of it. Did, I don't know if I ever because you sometimes see on YouTube those videos that were made, I guess, by the BBC or who or whatever, you know, t- telling you to get under your desk <laughs> in the event of a nuclear yeah. winter. But I don't. I don't remember seeing any of those at the time. But um, no. Well, I I do remember that as well because my dad had this whole his one of his whole routines was about this booklet called Protect and Survive, which he still has actually. He still has the original thing. Right. Right. And the government sent this out to all the households in Britain, I think. And it was like 
how to how to survive a nuclear holocaust. Oh my god! <laughs> like one of the things was you should build like a tunnel out of all the doors in your house. Like you should build a shelter out of all the doors in your house. Take them all off the hinges and build a shelter. And it said, and if you if you if you can't do this, contact your landlord. And the idea that you <laughs> would ring this eighties landlord and go, I'm worried about this nuclear bomb, and your landlord will go. No problem, Susan. I'll be right round with my hammer and my nails. We'll sort it out. So my dad had this whole bit about you should get all the net curtains with all your neighbours and sew them together and catch the bomb. And oh, it was very good, good. actually. But yeah, so, so I saw him do that routine many times. So right, no yeah. wonder I had nightmares. Yeah, cool. That's so intense. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> and you, uh, do, you know, at this stage, you know, you're playing games and they've got this appeal because they're at your friend's house and that's always nice, isn't it, when you get to go there and it's not something that's always accessible. You sort of have to go somewhere to play it, which I think can increase their appeal. Did you have a sense that you maybe wanted to work around video games when you when you got a bit older or did you have other dreams when you were a kid? Um, I had three dreams when I was a child. Uh, one was to be a video games journalist and the other two were to be an astronaut or an air hostess. Nice. So... I'm only 45. There's still time. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I did. I did want to do that. Um, and I used to read this magazine called Amstrad Action, which was, I think, written entirely by boys. But again, I wasn't. That didn't really put me off because my parents were, as I think we've established, super woke and right on. There was this sense of you can do whatever you like. Oh. And my my dad, you know, did stupid stuff for a living. And my mum um, was a teacher, and then she wrote children's books. Oh, so nice. yeah. there was this idea in the house that. You know, you don't have to be a lawyer or a doctor. You can just basically do what you like. And if that's video games, journalism, well, whatever, yeah. you know, as long as it's not, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not depressing. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's poorly paid or whatever. So that was quite, I was quite lucky. Yeah, in that that's respect. amazing. Yeah. Have you tried to, I mean, jumping forward slightly, but have you tried to keep that attitude with your own children? Yeah, definitely. I think. Or are you like, go and study law? Yes. No. Listen, get the abacus out, get the violin. <laughs> In six hours, yeah. you can play PlayStation. No, I've definitely tried to encourage that. At the same time, I think it's good to have. I'll go sound so old, don't I? But it's it's good to have skills. And it's good to have to be able to make to to make money. Let's be honest. To be able to pay the bills It's all very well saying I'm gonna let my children be whatever they like. But if they decide they want to be, you know, in a boy band and they can't fucking sing, then they're fucked, aren't they? So it'd be quite good if they could you know know how to write something or do a little bit of maths or stuff like that so um, it's the i think like everything with parenting you know it's about balance yeah isn't it, it is yeah indeed all right why don't we come to your your second game then which is from 1996 can you tell us about it what is it and why do you love it oh which is this tomb raider which one is this yeah yeah Look, oh, look, Simon, I know it's really boring. Oh, surprise, surprise. She's a 45-year-old middle-aged female gamer. She's pink Tomb Raider. Unbelievable. The listeners are dropping their headphones, ripping them out of their ears in shock and awe. <laughs> it's like I had um, Susan Calvin on. Uh, I don't think it, it's not gone out yet, but she picked Tomb Raider as well. But, uh, not, of course not, she uh, did. Of course she did. Not uh, to like, typecast... Uh, 
lady comedians. No, and don't make me feel inferior by telling me that a much funnier and more successful comedian has picked the thing I've got to talk about. In no way has that put me off my stride, so I'm that's absolutely oh, fine. Oh, come on. Mate. No, no. That <laughs> joking. So did you play this at the time in, in 1996? So again, I remember really vividly, I first saw Team Raider. Uh, it must have been the summer of maybe 97 or something. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it was, no, it's the summer Diana died. It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back. 1997. Oh, how we wept. And um, there were two very important women in my life that summer, Simon Parkin. <laughs> Princess Diana and Princess Lara. Oh, yeah. Now, I remember that because that was the summer I was working in a bakery in Nunhead. Mm. And I was a student and I really needed the money. So I went and worked in this bakery. And I found out after about a month that the boss was racist. Uh, which obviously is really awful and but I couldn't afford to quit my job or like report her so what I did was I decided to take my revenge by stealing cakes so because <laughs> that's that's the that's yeah. what Martin Luther King wanted uh, that's that's what Malcolm X would have suggested I'm sure in my circumstances at the end of the day like, I would just qu- quietly put a gatto on the back of my bike and they would take it round to my friend Owen's house because Owen's parents were away for the yeah. summer so him and his brother Stephen had the house to themselves so we used to hang out there Owen would barbecue for six to eight hours every day while smoking. <laughs> and then I would turn up like a hero with these yeah. anti-racist right. cakes. I stole these cakes time. from a racist. This is this is allyship. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just call me Robin Hood. That's it. And I allowed anyone of any race to eat those cakes, Simon. That's very important yeah. to say. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but it's the thing that I did. Uh, and I looked her up to report her uh, recently and she's dead. So anyway. Uh, um, ra- racism doesn't pay. <laughs> doesn't pay. So I remember going into the smoke-filled living room and seeing Stephen playing this game that was just this woman wandering around what looked like a multi-storey car park, a sort of abandoned car park. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, this game's brilliant. And I was like, no, it isn't. You're really high. That's just a woman in a big grey room. That's that, like nothing was happening in it. I was like, what do you do? Where's the baddies? Where's the pew pews? Where's the Sonic's red shoes? Where's the green pipes? <laughs> and and even then, I didn't really register with me that she was a female character or the importance of that sort of, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't like a great feminist awakening. Right. But then yes. for some reason, then I did get to play it maybe there or somewhere else. Again, that summer is all very hazy. Can't remember if it was before or after Diana's tragic death. But I got to play it and suddenly something did click in me and I was just like, oh, I get it. This isn't a game like Mario Kart where you all sit in a smoke-filled room and you all play it and you all laugh. This is a solo experience. It's entirely designed to put you as an isolated person in this in this world and you explore at your own pace and your own leisure and it's it's such a quiet game. Oh, and then there's these puzzles that you've got to solve. But again, you think through them in your own time. It's not about running and jumping, you know, all the time to or jumping on the buddy's head. And that was revelatory to me. Um, so there's that. And yeah, the fact that, of course, it had an impact on me that she was a girl because there were no, apart from Princess Peach and Ms. Pac-Man, there were no other girls in games then, certainly that didn't wear pink. So the idea of being this incredibly athletic, acrobatic, intelligent woman with enormous bangers I was like, that would be fucking good, wouldn't it? Let's let's go. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was such a. It's difficult to remember now if you weren't there at the time, but it was it was such a momentous thing, wasn't it? Really? Did it have the same impact on you then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it certainly 
was it was such a something new exactly as you say you know miss pac-man was just pac-man but with a bow sprite <laughs> like so it wasn't it wasn't a meaningful um change yeah why did she you know, have Lara the bow was... anywhere was it she didn't have any hair was it to cover her vagina <laughs> is that where pat people have their genitals i don't know it's very strange <laughs> it is strange yeah no, but yeah, no, it was it was just it was just different, wasn't it, to see a, a woman protagonist who was who was a fully fleshed out character, right, with you know motivations and and a lovely house. Yeah, well, fleshed out is the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there was that, I suppose, as well. <laughs> part of the introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Phil. So, so you, I mean, you, you're working at this bakery. How do you get from the bakery to Sony PlayStation, uh, where where you joined in 2001? So, um, after the stint at the racist bakery, I went back to uni, uh, where I I, I say I did an English degree. What I mainly did, of course, was from that point on, was play Tomb Raider. My friend and I, we got hold. I think we, we it was at Christmas. We got the last PlayStation in Bromley. It was that year, and there was a drought. Nice. We got the last one. I think we bought it in W. H. Smiths. Do you remember Smiths used to sell games and consoles? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> days. And we basically played that and drank vodka and coke all Christmas. And then I took it back with me to uni, and that's just sort of what I did. And I lived with these people who were really nice, but had like proper. We're doing proper degrees in like environmental geoscience. And they'd come in and go, so uh, how's your post-graduation plan going? I've just had an interview with Procter & Gamble. And I'd be like, oh, I've got the scion of a Gnathsneros. Um, I've just unlocked the <laughs> key for the temple, so I'm going to do that now. And they'd be like, oh, okay. When I, so when I left uni, I didn't have a plan, but I had a friend, the friend who, who I would play the game with, actually. Um, and he, he had this job on this in this TV company coming up. But it was one of these things where things take ages to... So, there was a period of unemployment where I couldn't afford, I had no money, I was living with my parents. And the highlight of my week was going to the Lewisham Library in Catford, where I would rent uh. Angel of Darkness. I think it was three pounds. <laughs> so another Tomb Raider game. Unfortunately, a terrible one. Mm. Um, but I played that for a bit. And anyway, I'd worked at the telly company for a bit and then that ended. And then again, I, I was just unemployed and I didn't know what to do. And I saw an advert in the newspaper for a copywriter at PlayStation and I didn't even know what a copywriter was but I was like oh that's you know PlayStation brilliant so I applied for it so there's over 300 other people but miraculously uh, I got the oh, wow. job do you remember the interview what they asked you there was there was three it was a three three stage interview um there was a sort of meet just a normal interview and then I think there was another chat I had to do weird stuff like I had to write some plot ideas for Brookside what yeah I had to write it three pages of plot lines for Brookside. After I got the job, I said, what was that about? And they, the guy was like, well, I wanted to make sure that you could turn your hand to any kind of writing because you have to write about different kinds of games. And I'm just a really big fan of Brookside. <laughs> Maybe they were like hoping to like pitch some 
move into script writing. They just wanted to take your ideas or yeah, something. Yeah, it, it was all odd. Um, so strange. But then the final sort of interview, they said, we want you to come in one more time. And they said, it's down to you and one, one other person. Come into the office in Golden Square. So I came in and they sat me down in this little room with a PlayStation 2. And the PlayStation 2 wasn't even out yet. So as a gamer, this was like Pretty cool. Willy Wonka giving you a, an everlasting gobstopper. I was just like, what is, what, what? And they were like, we're just going to leave you here for a few minutes. And uh, yeah, I've just got to go and check something. I'll be right back. I was like, and they were like, just just play the game. Just have a play. Just see how you, you feel. It was Sky Odyssey, the playing game. And um, I just uh. picked up the controller and I, I started playing it and, and loved it. And it was awesome and then after about 10 minutes they came back in and they went oh hi how are you getting on I was like yeah brilliant I've done I'm just doing this bit and they were like oh cool you've got the job and I was like oh I thought you had to check and they were like no I said I thought there was another candidate and they were like no no you've got the job that's all fine it was odd but I was just really happy and pleased and it wasn't until months later that I was at a party and uh, someone a drunk person said to me we wanted to check that you really weren't bluffing us and that you really knew your way around a PlayStation. No. Because, and that he, he actually said, because you're a girl, we wanted to make uh, sure that you weren't, Oh my! you goodness. know, it wasn't all just sort of a big bluff. So it's like a two-way mirror that they're all stood <laughs> behind to see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> see if I still put the controller in my bra. I don't know. <laughs> accidentally put it in my vagina because I don't, I don't know what they thought I was going to do. Yeah. And when they told me, you know, I was 23 and it's different. It was a different time. And I just sort of went... Oh, that's so funny. Oh, of course. Glad, glad I passed that test. And now, of course, I look back on it and go, Ooh, how fucking dare you? Of course. Yeah, that's scandalous. But, you know, it is what it is. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, I've got, I, I actually read a piece that you wrote when I was preparing for this about about working on on those game manuals, and you had a um, you wrote a story about the that writing the manual for Time Crisis Two, and uh, you you had to write some backstory. Is this right for the for the special agents Keith Martin and Robert Baxter? Keith and Robert, that's right. Can you just tell us that story? What you did? So yeah, it was t- was it Time Crisis Three Project Titan? It might have been. I okay. can't remember. One of the Time Crisis games. So you'd get these manuals like from Namco, from these these sort of Japanese games, and then their manuals would be translated from Japanese into English. And the English wouldn't be great because the person doing the translating wasn't a native speaker. And God knows it was still better than my Japanese will ever be, right? Ugh. But then they would send them to me and then I would sort of convert that English into, you know, the house style, the European style. I was allowed a little bit of creative freedom with that. <laughs> and... To be honest, I loved working at PlayStation. It was a magic rock and roll time to be there, but it was a bit dull just writing manuals and the bits. So so I just get a bit bored. So I made up these biographies for Robert and Keith, the agents in Time Crisis, that they were from Lewisham because I was like, why why not? Why not? Let's localise it. Let's localise it. Yeah. Like, because, you know, the manager used to say, and he used to say their blood type and stuff, which is a very Japanese thing. And um, it used, it had like hobbies, and I put like I think lead singer of Fleetwood Mac tribute band, <laughs> and I sent it to the product manager, and he was a good laugh, Stephen. He 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 got it, and he was like, "Yep, fine." And he sent it on to Namco, and Jackie from Nan- Namco sent it back with a big pig post-it note on it saying, "Where did your copyright get her information from about the bit from Lewisham?" Sadly, didn't get. Oh. Got in big trouble for writing a. Do you remember the multi-tap, the four-way? I do. Yeah, multi-tap. Got in big trouble for writing an advert for that. 
for smash court tennis that said fancy a foursome uh they didn't <laughs> like that they said oh that my wasn't... god you were the toxic copywriter in the early it's 2000s it's making me. everything sexy i wrote something for the um the e3 brochure about ape escape where i used the phrase spank the monkey and the marketing the head of marketing <laughs> saw it just before it went to print was really upset with me it's like on twitter these days you often see people posting pics of like Game adverts from that era going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they do that. And that was all you. <laughs> that was me. That was People me. Like, I can't believe those men working in advertising in Soho would write these things, but it was all Lily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, let's, um, should we come to your third game, which uh, which I think is relevant to this era from 2001, um, a PlayStation game. Can you tell us about yeah, it? Uh, it's Jack and Daxter. So, again, for anyone who doesn't know, so this is a classic PS2 game. And it was one of the first games I wrote the manuals for. And it was the first ones I wrote the manual sort of from scratch. So it's an American game. It's made by Naughty Dog. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what they've done since. Probably nothing much. Uh, yeah. And uh, just miserable stuff, really, isn't it? Why didn't they just stick with the happy, joyful, sandy beaches of Jack and Daxter? No one knows. Um, everyone's got to eat each other. Anyway, so Jack and Daxter was this lovely game. And... Um, when I first saw it, again, it was one of those moments where it's like, I, I saw a preview code, obviously, in the office, and it was all this top secret thing, and I'd never seen anything quite like it. It had the sort of lush sort of beauty of the old Sonic and Mario games, which I loved, but then it had this sort of 3D element, and it had this, I, again, this idea that you're in this world that you could explore relatively freely, um, and I loved it, and the artwork was just exquisite. One of the, One of my first jobs was... They were like, so Naughty Dog have sort of put together a, a sort of a rough manual, but we want you to make that, you know, better. And, and we know that the sidekick is called Daxter, but we can't pick a name for the, the blonde hero guy. So one of my first jobs was just to go away and come up with loads of suggestions. No way. So yeah. I came up with about 40, including things like, you know, bum face and uh, giant arse. They didn't <laughs> like that. Um, so... But one of them was, again, that the person I was, I was living with some friends at the time and the, and the guy I would play Tomb Raider with was called Jake. And for shorthand, we used to call him Jack-Jack in the house. I don't know why. And so I just wrote Jack-Jack on the thing. And they came back no, and they right. said, oh, we like that, but we're going to shorten it. We're going to call him Jack. So there you are. And it was spelt like that. So that, I named Jack out of Jack and Daxter. You did. I did not know that. That's incredible. Wow. And if that had been the uh, Naughty Dog project that was turned into a... Uh, lavish hbo production you could have had a windfall oh, do you know what i have got they did send me um a beautiful and enormous like sort of watercolor print of the artwork of jack and daxter signed yes. by the artists and stuff i think they're like limited edition thing and i have got that just over there and i shouldn't be telling you in case burglars but i've got i've got that tucked away um, but again, I'm sort of banking on that IP becoming Naughty Dog's like multi-million dollar franchise. <laughs> but it just hasn't done. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but I did all sorts of pretentious stuff like with that. So the, 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 that game had its own alphabet. They very cleverly came up with this thing, the precursors, these robots, and they had their own alphabet, like hieroglyphic sort of thing. So around the edge, the, the manual is like a, a fold out map, which I think was my idea, but I better not say that. Um, it's like a fold out map of the island. And it had this border. And I said, we need to put for the border the alphabet, but I want you to write. Ugh. And then 
I um, gave them some lines from Tennyson, the Kraken, so that if you bothered to translate that border, that's actually some lines from Tennyson about these monsters rising from the deep, which, of course, is the plot of the game. Um, but whenever I tell that to people, they just tell me that's incredibly pretentious and what wanker I am. Oh, well, you're telling the right person because I love that. <laughs> that's so great. I love it. I thought Brilliant. you would like it, Simon Parkin, because you're an award-winning book writer. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Oh, I love it. No, but that attention to detail, who can't love that? That's brilliant stuff, isn't it? Especially, you know, the art of manual design has sort of been lost, hasn't it, in recent years? And it's so lovely to look at those older projects where there was proper care and attention spent on them. So so I'm a fan. Exactly. Yeah. I miss the notes. I miss the pages at the back where you yes. could write the little blank pages for notes. Just last night on my stream, so to reward people for subscribing, I don't have any fancy flashy alerts. So to reward people lately, um, uh, or last night, I've been reading out excerpts from Starlight, the Enya fanzine, um, which oh, yeah. is a magazine <laughs> produced in 2011. And in, in it's like 45 pages. I let people pick a random number and then I read them what's ever on the page. That's the reward. Right. Uh, but I've had to say only between 1 and 40 because the last four pages are blank. <laughs> and one of my viewers was like, is that so in case you want to write some notes about Enya? It's <laughs> like, so, yeah, maybe you want to do a watercolour yeah. of one of her videos. I don't know. A, walk, um, a walkthrough of her house or something <laughs> <laughs> to, to remind you where the treasure's hidden or yeah. something. Did you have to say where Jack was from? Is he from Lewisham? <laughs> Uh, no, sadly, uh, sadly, they're, they're Americans. They took it all quite seriously. Okay. All that oh, sort is, of thing. Yeah. But they did allow me like quite a lot of creative freedom with it. So yeah. it was really fun to work with them. Yeah, amazing. But as I say, now they've gone on to make all these bloody miserable games where everybody's <laughs> eating each other. So, you know, yeah. I'm not really interested yeah. in them anymore. They've lost their way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell it. So then, you know, like you say, it was a, it was a good job, but it got a little tedious at some point, and then you make the decision to move into into journalism. How did that? How did that happen? Well, there was it was it wasn't that I, I could have I I really loved working there, and I loved the people. But then I had this Australian boyfriend that I met here, and then he decided to go back to Australia, and then um, I was going to go with him, but then he dumped me. But then I decided to go around the world anyway, and I flew to Thailand and sort of got stuck there, <laughs> got into scuba diving, stayed there for a bit, and then I went to Vietnam. And so I got stuck there and I ended up working for the Vietnam News, which is an English language newspaper. So then, um, and it was all, that was all hilarious. It was a government run newspaper because Vietnam's not a democracy. They told you what to write then? Well, it was more, it was things like, when the first person died of SARS, it was around that time. Right. And someone had mm. died of SARS and they died of SARS in the Western hospital because obviously that's a big, someone, if a white person dies in a white person's hospital, that's a massive deal, right? And my boss was like, oh, I've just got your thing. Can you not write that they're, dead can you write that they're in a critical condition oh right <laughs> like, no because they're dead and i was like and i've got that yeah. off the well that's from the associated press like that's not me i haven't been to the right. hospital like that's it's what in it the says public the domain yeah and he's like yeah but the paper goes out on all the airplanes that come into vietnam so people will be like really freaked out if you say that someone's dead i was like but yeah. someone's dead <laughs> Yeah, that's the point of the news <laughs> so it's just stuff like that oh my god but that meant i could go Back to, and that was an ideal job because it started at noon and finished at half nine at night, which probably just go out drinking. But then, so when I got back, I could pretend, well, I could say that I had worked on a national newspaper and no one else had to know it was produced using literally Word 2.0. Uh, and it was basically writing, writing government propaganda about the marvellous uptick in catfish exports, which I wrote, <laughs> I wrote about four stories about that a day under the instructions of the government. So that was good. So that I had that. And then I worked, I tried... Um, I got offered two jobs. One was on a magazine, a games magazine in Macclesfield. Um, and one was where I lived in London uh, in PR. And the PR one 
was like thousands of times better paid. So I took that one and lasted about a week. It was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, because I finished so it was the games. PR for games, was it? Yeah, yeah. I had to write a, a, like a press release for like a WWE game. And I think I wrote a lot of stuff about, again, like waggling your joy, get ready to waggle your joysticks as the ladies of the WWE. Because that was the thing about this version. It had the women in it. Mm -hmm. At, yeah. And it was such a disgraceful press release. I think a question got asked about it in Parliament. Oh, gosh. Like, that's... It sounds like you should have been uh, working at FHM. This should be a bind to your beings. This is what I'm saying. I want to come to the patriarchy meetings. I've got loads of ideas for you, marketing-wise. <laughs> so um, I finished all the games PR in a week, and then they were like, oh, you've completed it. Well, we'll put you on one of our other like teams. Um, can you write? Can you do run some competitions for Rory McGrath's own goals and sporting blunders, volume two DVD, <laughs> and also Jeremy Clarkson's motorsport? And I was like, uh, no, I hate these things, but I had to do it. I did get them in a competition. I got them a competition in Viz, which they were really impressed with. But then after I'd left, the competition came out and it was one unlucky winner will receive 10 copies of Rory McGrath's own golfs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. So anyway, so I, 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 um, I'd been there about a week and I, I thought this is not. And I rang the magazine up and I said, is that a job still going? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, and Noah said I didn't want it, but I've made a big mistake. And they were like, that's fine. Get on the train to Macclesfield. So I went and did that. And then that lasted... You moved your whole life then to Macclesfield? I did, yeah. I moved up to Mac um, and uh, wasn't there for too long. And that's when I actually got together with Pete, because Pete um, he used to come and visit me up there. And we'd been friends for a long time, and that's when we sort of started seeing each other. And yeah, and again, that was loads of fun. Really brilliant people who I'm still friends with now. Loved all that. But um, after just over a year, the magazine, the company started going bust, basically. And by the end, it was just me and one other guy, Paul, putting together the ish this issue of the magazine. And we worked right. our asses off doing it. We wrote the whole thing ourselves. And then it never appeared. And then they kept saying, there's been a fire in the warehouse. <laughs> oh, jeez. And in the end, they were like, yeah, we never printed it. We've run out of money. Um and then they said, do you want a job on Simply Cards and Papercraft? And I said, no, I, I don't. And again, I never thought about this at the time, but interestingly, I don't think they offered that job to Paul. I think it was just me. And I said, no, I don't. And they just, they said, we thought you'd say that. Here's your redundancy check. We've already written it out. Um. <laughs> so fine. And then, and then I got a job on Eurogamer because I was still, I was booked to go on a press trip for this magazine. And then it folded, but the lovely Kat Channon was like, from she worked for Vivendi then, was like, just come anyway, just come on the press trip anyway. And she and I were pretty much instant best friends. And that's where I met Tom Bramwell, who worked for Eurogamer, and then off we went. I, I didn't know some of that. That's super interesting. So let's come to your uh, let's come to your, your fourth game, which is more recent. This is from 2020. Can you tell us about it? It's Assassin's Creed Valhalla!
I worked at Eurogamer for nearly a decade. I loved that. But then um, I started having babies and Eurogamer great, but I just, I, I went part time and then I, I just, it wasn't working. So, and also I'd met Helen Thorne and we'd started Scummy Mummies. So I quit Eurogamer and I focused on comedy for a few years. And that was all going really well. That was great. And we, we were selling out these shows all over the UK and we had this hit podcast and it was all amazing. And we booked this 40 date tour for 2020. <laughs> and ah. then everyone started coughing and uh, it was the lockdown. I just didn't really know what to do with myself. And I think it was it was the second lockdown, actually, I think, because it was January. Was it January 21 I started? I started playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I hadn't played an Assassin's Creed. Oh, really? I hadn't played a proper big AAA game for years. And they changed quite a lot, and I was so impressed by the yeah. scope of it, just the sheer breadth and the and the and the beauty of it, the detail, and and it was the first game I think I'd ever played, even more than Tomb Raider and Jack and Daxter, although yeah. they had an element of this, where you really did feel like you were in this living world, and you could you had total freedom to go anywhere within it, and wherever you went, something nutty would happen, and I just loved that, but it was so expansive and it was quite isolating, so I thought. I'd heard about Twitch, um, and I thought I'll, I'll just let's just try it. Let's just see what happens, and yeah. and I loved it. What was, so for, what was it like the first time you did that? Did you did you sort of immediately have like an audience, and did you know how to kind of talk to them, or did that develop over a few weeks? Oh, that definitely developed. Like the first time I went sort of live was absolutely terrifying because um, partly I was st- I was like, what is this? Am I trying to be a comedian? Am I trying to be funny? Or do they want? Do they want information about them? Am I a games journalist? They want information about the game. Do they want to see the game? Is it like a preview? And I had all these voices in the back of my head from all the shit I used to get when I was on Eurogamer going, well, you don't know anything about games anyway, you moron. And you're not funny. So why on earth would anyone come and watch you play this game? And also because I had all that going on in my head, I, I am, I'm not brilliant at games anyway. And I was suddenly incredibly shit at the game <laughs> and very conscious of that. So mentally, it was just a lot. But the people... Was so and, I, and to this day, I still don't really understand what Twitch is, if I'm honest. But the people were so lovely and so funny and so supportive. And I realised it's okay to be a bit shit at games. And people actually quite like it when you're a bit shit at something and you're honest about that and vulnerable about that and, and just sort of own it. Since then, it's grown and grown. And to be honest, I really didn't expect to be doing it still two nights a week, two years on. Um, I would have told you you're mad. But here we are. And I've accidentally built this community of really lovely people who I just are some of the funniest, brightest, kindest people I've ever met. And it's just a lovely place to hang out twice a week. That's, oh, it's that's great. so lovely. The thing you say there about um, being honest or, or, you know, not afraid to be a bit vulnerable in front of people. I suppose that's also part of what you have to learn as a stand-up comic as well. Can you just, I mean, I know we're going a little bit back in the timeline, but can you just tell us about, um, you know, what was it that made you want to give that a go to actually get up in front of an audience? What pushed you to do that while you're, you've got this job on Eurogamer? Um, well, I'd always sort of, since I was a kid, I'd used funny to, you know, cope with, to make people try and like me, basically. I was, I was like 99% of comedians. I was very badly bullied at school. And humour was a way to get people on side. And then I um, I sort of found my voice in games when, you know, Pat from Eurogamer said to me, you know, stop trying to write like you think a proper serious games journalist writes. You're funny. 
just just write like you talk to me um, and that was hugely helpful when I started oh, such great it was advice. brilliant it was brilliant and it, it sort of turned my whole career around in all sorts of ways my life around really I have had this conversation yeah. with him about about it and tried to say thank you but he's very honest and sincere and he just goes oh <laughs> so anyway um, <laughs> stand up obviously it was something my dad did but I think to be honest I think it was one of those things of if you sometimes I think if you have a dream the the it's not always I think the whole thing of always go for your dreams is not necessarily great advice because if you go for your dreams yeah. and then you fail and you're totally shit <laughs> what have you got left you've got no dreams <laughs> then what are you going to do right like, that's the thing that holds people back though isn't it sometimes that's from, good from thing, ever Simon. trying isn't it have you been on the open mic circuit but I had this baby and I really liked him a lot and I was very yeah. lucky I had a lot of support and a nice husband so I found the baby bit all right for me I know that's not a lot of people's experience I've had the toddler a bit harder, harder actually but the baby bit for me was all right so I was really happy and I thought well I could go and try and do this thing and if I'm shit at it and it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't matter because I've got all this stuff going on at home that I'm actually really happy with um, and then I looked at this comedy course and it was like yes you get to go to a pub in Soho on your own without a child every Monday night for six weeks and I was like sign me up I don't even care what this is oh it's comedy oh brilliant <laughs> could be darts yeah. could be you know making sourdough don't mind but it was comedy and I loved I loved doing the course and I loved my first gig and I think didn't Dara say this on your podcast that I listened to actually about the first time you do comedy and people laugh it's like a sort of drug going into your system. Yeah. He said, I think it was like a part of your brain that's not been turned on yeah. before gets switched on. Yeah. And then yeah. you spend literally the rest of your life, this is my other friend said so this to me as well, chasing that high and never being uh, able uh, to replicate yeah. it. <laughs> but I did. I remember going yeah. to bed that night after my first gig and just like seeing stars, just like my brain was on fire and I was just like, that's magic. That is magic. And since then, I've had many, many terrible gigs where, you know, and, and all sorts of awful things have happened, but also some some great ones, but never quite that that high, I guess. Well, you, you mentioned there that, you know, that having a tough time at school. Did you find when you were doing these gigs and you had just bad audiences or like, you know, dickheads in the in the crowd or hecklers or whatever did it uh did it sort of press those buttons from when you were younger in some way and make make you think oh my gosh actually what am i doing here or were you able to to you know uh, contextualize that no that that i didn't i didn't mind that too much i didn't mind it not going well with the comedy there's all sorts of factors involved and it's you know the other the thing is with the Eurogame where i had to get i get quite a thick skin because i did get a lot of shit um, some of it because I was a woman, sometimes just because people are assholes, basically. And I, I had to learn over the years to sort of, you shouldn't have to. I'm not saying anyone else should have to do this, but I had to. Uh. And I did learn to go, well, well, fuck the internet, basically. So I had that sort of armour going into stand-up. I think the reason those voices came back when I did Twitch was because, I don't know, I think it was it was the thing of comedy is just, it's just you talking about your own shit, right? And nobody knows your own shit better than you. Whereas games... You are expected, especially if you're positing yourself as a presenter, a game journalist or a streamer, you're, you're supposed to have a basic knowledge of this thing. And that's one of the things I loved about Twitch is that nobody minded that I never remembered which was the button to call the horse or that <laughs> yeah. I kept setting myself on fire. People just thought it was funny and they weren't calling me an idiot. Yeah, no way, it's better. Yeah, they weren't saying yeah. to me. Because that's the thing I used to get on year ago where there was this sort of undercurrent often of, she shouldn't have this job because she's not good enough at it and she doesn't know what she's doing. I should have this job. Mm -hmm. You know, I know more than her. And there was a lot of trying to prove that they knew more than me. 
Whereas on Twitch, yeah, you, you can't. You don't have that weapon, do you? Because it's like, well, you fucking do it then. You 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 go and stream Assassin's Creed Valhalla for ninety seven hours. I'm not stopping you. Nobody's here because they have to be. <laughs> Nobody's paying for this content. You know, yeah. like so. That's uh, one of the things I've enjoyed most about it. Yes. <laughs> that's brilliant I did tell someone to fuck off in a comedy show last week actually that was good as well did there you? Were these, it was in Lancaster and there were these two really pissed birds up the back and they were just chatting which happens it does happen more since lockdown chatting like they're just in the front room and the audience are getting really annoyed and we tried to deal with it you know you try a bit of politeness and you try a bit of passag and you try a bit of all this stuff and it wasn't working and in the end I went what are you chatting about and this woman in front of them just went just tell them to fuck off and I went, oh, is that the local vernacular? Is, it? is that the local lingo? All right, ladies, fuck <laughs> off. And they fucking shut up. So there you go. Did you, did you get a big cheer? cheer Huge I bet. cheer. Yes, everybody was very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I think when uh, when the heckler realises probably that the entire room's against them, that's when they that's when they shrivel up yeah, a bit, isn't it? It's so. hard to carry on. Yeah. Okay, we should, uh, Ellie. We should come to your fifth and your your final game, uh, which is related to streaming again. Uh, can you tell us about it from twenty twenty one? So. The game I have chosen for my final game. I don't know why I feel like I have to give it a big setup, Simon. <laughs> I'm going to do it in the side no, like style it. of the X Factor. Yeah, do man. it. It's Power Wash Simulator! Have you played this game? I have actually. I think I well I've played a Power Wash game. I assume this is the only one, but maybe there's more. But I've played one of them anyway, and you have to clean like uh objects in your garden and things like that and patios. Is this a different one? Yes. I'm sure this is just the start of a break a new you know how games go, right? Someone does a good thing and then everyone else copies it. Like remember like rock band and guitar here and the Wii and all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure the big the must have games gadget of this Christmas is going to be like a plastic power wash peripheral right, right, that right, you yeah. actually point at your Nintendo Switch. I'm confident <laughs> that's on the way. A Call of Duty <laughs> spin off. Call of Duty power wash. <laughs> oh, every, everything. Two Raider Power Well, there is two Raider Power Wash, of course, in the thing already, but yeah. Call up for grabs. So what's uh, yeah, why does this game uh, mean a lot to you? It's uh, it's quite uh, I mean it's a uh, it's it's very pleasing, isn't it? Washing things in real life and in the game. Is that the? Is that why you loved it? <laughs> Simon Parkin loves washing things. That's the, yeah, I know. Is that your headline? The, the hard-hitting questions here. <laughs> I love to wash, said Parkin. Everything, myself, my home, my children. Um, yeah, like so. Right, here's the thing. You tell people about this game, right, whether they're gamers or non-gamers. It's What's good is everyone can understand what it is. So it's just a game. You're you're a power washer person and you have to just power wash shit. Monster yeah. trucks, bicycles, bungalows, children's playgrounds, Lara Croft's house, vehicles from Final Fantasy VII. You name it, you've got to power wash it. Yeah. It sounds simple. And the Guardian's Keza MacDonald, who I believe you're close personal friends with, and she asked me to write an article about the Tomb Raider expansion pack. And I did. And she was just like, voice. And I, I got in so deep so quickly. Like within 10 minutes, I was like, no, this is what I'm doing for at least the next six weeks. This is my life now. This right. is what we're doing. Because it's not just power washing stuff. There's depth, Simon. You get different nozzles. 
Mm -hmm, you get mm -hmm. different extenders. You can get different guns. You can buy new rubber gloves. There's all of that. Do they give yeah. you different uh, benefits, the, the rubber gloves? Or is you it know? just cosmetics? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with taking pride in your appearance, Simon. <laughs> but you saying I can't even wear lipstick because I'm a feminist? Come on. No, nothing wrong with it. Uh, um, but as I as I wrote in my article, which Keza probably against a better judgment uh, commissioned, it's there's just something so soothing about it and so satisfying, and it's one of the quietest games I've played probably since that original Tomb Raider. There's no music, you know. There's no again nothing jumping on you or jumping out at you. There's no silly sidekick. That's what drove me mad about the, the later Tomb Raider game. Some bloke standing there going, it looks like this mural might be from an old civilization and there's a drawing mm. of a key. And like, <laughs> fuck off. I don't want that. I want to be left alone in peace. I live with children, so I've got a constant narration in my life all the time. So I like to be in silence. It would work, though, having a having a little sidekick going, you missed a bit in Power Wash Simulator. <laughs> well, there's a button you press where you can see the little bits that you've missed. They flash orange. Uh, right. Yeah, see? See, layers. <laughs> layers. And you you once played this game for, for a full 24 hours, is that correct? That's right. So I was like, <laughs> no, now you're, now when you, someone else says it to you, you go, why did I do that? So then I've had the idea. So, yeah, we're going to Nepal and we're going to try and break this world record and then I was like I really like this game I think I could play it forever what if what if so I wrote to Guinness and I was like is there a Guinness world record for playing this it's quite new and they were like no uh, but they love a games world record and I was like yeah. great can I do the world record can I play it for 12 hours and they were like no uh, the minimum you can play it to set a record because there isn't one existing is 24 hours gosh and I was like that is a long time to wash anything I don't even like washing things as much as Simon Parkin, but that is a long, that's a long time. Right. But honestly, what sort of tips the balance was, well, I can do it on Twitch. I can do it and then people can chat to me and we can have a laugh. I'm not sure I would have done it, you know, 10 years ago, to be honest, but I thought that would be, and also I'll get loads of attention I get to show off. So that's what we did. And we raised over £10,000 for boards. So I had a premature baby in 2014, so it's a cause that's very important to me and we raised over 10 grand for the Bourne organisation half of that actually was from Future Lab who make Power Wash Simulators so great bunch of lads thank you very much and, and women it was I mean I love the game It at about 3am I did start to go I played from 8am to 8am and I did start to go a bit mad in the middle <laughs> of the night but I had my lovely uh, Twitch buddies there and a, a nice woman just a mum from Texas appeared on the stream for the first time she kept me going Aww. so it was really it was really fun and I did cry at the end of the stream. Um, not honestly, obviously, I was very tired, but it was an amazing experience. And I, I don't just mean the bow washing. So, to qualify for the record, I had to have two witnesses at all times um, watching it and being filmed on a Zoom call watching it. I had to video the whole thing. I had to have mods, obviously, doing the stream. And my community just came together and were like to volunteering like to do shifts from like 3am till 6am watching me play this fucking video game about pile washing oh. and they did it and they all did their witness statements the same day and they were all just absolutely amazing and they were donating money and telling me to keep going and it I, I was just absolutely floored by the level of commitment and kindness that, uh. that people had so I did a little Oscar speech burst into tears I haven't been able to watch it back yet on the video on demand. I'm too nervous. <laughs> no. 
Oh, that's so lovely, though. Amazing. And like a great way to celebrate what you've built on Twitch, isn't it? Your 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 community there and everything. So nice. I, I think so. Like I said, I've been doing it for two years and I still, you know, we have a sort of joke where very often I start the stream by saying, welcome to whatever this is, because I don't know what it is, really. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to matter what we play. We play Assassin's Creed or we play Power Simulator. For a while, we were streaming interactive erotic fiction or for a period, there was a period where we played Dead Space but um, sort of uh, punctuated where I would read, if it got a bit too dark of someone subscribed, I would read a bit from Craig David's self-help autobiography, What's My Vibe? Yeah, so yeah. I like to just mix it up. And yet people seem to stick around or they go away and they come back, which is always lovely. And it's just a joy. I, it's a joy I really never expected to to be yes. this fulfilling, to be honest. But it's good. Oh, oh I'm so pleased. Amazing, Ellie. Right, let's, uh, let's go through your console then. We've got... New Zealand story, Tomb Raider, Jack and Daxter, as named by Ellie Gibson, Assassin's <laughs> Creed Valhalla, and Power Wash Simulator. Something for everyone there, I think. I think that's a good balance. What? So what is this like? A de- are we on a desert island with this console? Like, what's the? No, it's a very different concept to that, Ellie. No desert islands <laughs> are a part of this. Well then, well then. <laughs> no, we're making a uh, we're what? making like a SNES Mini. That's the idea that we're oh, going to okay. market to the world. So, because I've got uh, yeah. all these games anyway, so I don't. No, mean. but this is the one that you're going to put it. Don't don't pick at the premise. <laughs> no, we're gonna. This is what you're going to bundle up, and it's going to be like the Ellie Gibson machine that people are going to play to get a sense of who you are. It's got very limited memory. That's why it's only got five games. Okay. Can it? Um, well, Assassin's but, Creed Valhalla's about eighty gig. You fucked it yourself there. <laughs> yeah. Can it come with the you, Power Simulator plastic peripheral, like a like a guitar? Oh. Absolutely, a pack-in version with a peripheral. But you do need to give it a name. So, what would you like to call this uh, this console that we market to the world? You're I'm going to call it in honour of because you only asked me about my fav- favourite games. You didn't ask me about my favourite consoles. In honour of my favourite video games console of all time, I'm going to call it the Gibsondo. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> After the Gibsondo, I know you've got some good stories about that uh, that project. <laughs> but, oh, so many. Oh my goodness. Well, we might have to get you back to talk about that. Um, Do a Gizmondo special. We can talk through what games we put on the Gizmondo console, if, if, but there's only about five <laughs> anyway. We've already done it. Uh, okay, perfect. So wait, just remind me what it was. A Giz- Gibsondo, uh, as in Gibson. Gib Gibsondo. Gibsondo. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you have to explain a joke, that always means it's funny. I find. Yeah. No. <laughs> so right, listen. Before I let you go, Ellie. Um, so I've I've been to a couple of your scummy mummy gigs. We haven't really talked about uh, all of that, but um, just a tremendous vibe. I saw you at Edinburgh in that like slightly. Um, it was that year when it was not quite finished with the pandemic and. But it was so raucous in there and wonderful. I really absolutely loved it. I have heard you talk a bit. I think you were with um on the uh is it the Fortunately podcast? This was probably a few years ago, but you were you were talking about how, you know, you have these really successful gigs all around the country where uh, lots of people come along and have the time of their lives. But getting that moving that onto TV has always sort of seemed like a bit of a problem because I don't know, executives don't think that parents want comedy about parenting or something like that. I don't know. Do you think that's, is that shifting? Do you think that's going to change anytime soon? Well, specifically, they've said to us literally they don't think men want comedy about parenting. Oh, but, well, um, that's yeah, not literally, true. They've literally said to us, you know, we think your material might alienate a male audience. So I'm glad it didn't alienate you, Simon, when you came to see the no. show. Otherwise, this would be a very <laughs> awkward podcast. Uh, 
But you know, I think it is changing and I, I really hope it is. And I think that's brilliant. Like if you look at the success of Motherland, which is a fantastic show, uh, exactly, and, that, yeah. and that came out after, you know, we had that conversation I was just talking about. I don't think you can argue anymore that there's no appetite for, for comedy with the parenting. And I think um, Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett, they've got, you know, Parenting Hell, their podcast has been hugely yep. successful. They've got a, uh, a live uh, show and stuff based on that. So I think... They are men doing comedy about parenting, in fact. <laughs> see, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? There you go. Oh, um, I see. That. So <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's getting to a point where you can't sort of ignore that anymore uh, i mean to be honest obviously i'd be lying if i didn't say of course we'd love to be on the telly of course we'd love to do a scrummy scummy mummy's telly show but i think for a while that was the goal that was the end sort of the, the boss level if you like and it's not anymore um certainly for me because you know we're doing really well we're, we're making money to be honest um and we love doing the show. M millions, in fact. Uh, literally millions and millions of pounds. That's my net worth. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And my feet are very, very famous. And uh, that was always a personal goal. And I just really like my life. I really like working, in, not working for myself, but being able to choose what I do with my time. I like traveling around the country with my best mate and often my dad, staying in premier inns, eating at nice restaurants. I like being able to make time to see my kids. I get to go to all the school plays and all that stuff because we plan all our stuff around that. I like to be able to go off on stupid adventures to Everest. And I think a few years ago, I had to have a sit down and kind of go, do I, re do I still really want that? And what is the goal? And is it all right if that doesn't happen? And I was like, yeah, it wasn't even like I had to talk myself round. I was like, no, actually, this is, this is pretty great. And we don't know how long it's going to last. Um, it could all go tits up tomorrow. So I think we're just focused on enjoying it this is our 10 years we've been together now so this is our greatest hits tour amazing but we're we're, we're booking gigs for 2024 we just booked some gigs for july 2024 so there you go assuming we come <laughs> back from everest it looks like we're carrying on for a bit longer yeah oh, i hope you do come back from everest but um <laughs> thank you if so you much get, but... <laughs> it's nice thing to say <laughs> well if you are hospitalized it will probably help this podcast so <laughs> great content oh ellie it's been so nice to catch up and to see you and yeah thanks for coming on i really appreciate oh, it oh it's always a joy to talk to you award-winging 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 <laughs> novel author simon parkin thank you yeah thanks ellie take care <laughs> Thank you so much to my wonderful guest, Ellie Gibson, familiar to some of you for her work on Eurogamer, the website, the video game website, and then familiar to others of you, I expect, through her streaming efforts uh, on Twitch and YouTube. And then uh, still more of you probably know her best for her work in Scummy Mummies, the comedy duo that she uh, is in with her friend Helen. Uh, as you can hear from that tape, I spoke to Ellie just before she head off to her Himalayan gig that uh, she was planning to do um, as part of Scummy Mummies. I'm pleased to say that they, they did survive, they did do their kick and they uh, have managed to return. So that's good news, of course. It was only jesting at the end there. Um, about her, <laughs> this being uh, the last podcast she did. Very thankful, of course, that uh, that was not the case. And um, so congratulations to them for that work. Uh, you can see Scummy Mummies performing all around the country at the Edinburgh Festival. They often play, the, you know, 
they are they do sold out shows everywhere and it's a raucous fun time where from the sounds of things when you're in the audience lots and lots of parents have turned up to let their hair down a bit uh, and get away from the children and the babysitter for a night so yeah it's good good times if you have if you have children or uh, you know you look after any kids or you're an uncle or an aunt or anything like that then yeah definitely check out scummy mummies they have a very very popular podcast they've got books uh, and they've got live shows so all sorts of ways to follow what ellie is doing in that sense as well you can uh, follow me as well on twitter at simon parkin uh, where i will tweet about my perfect console but also the journalism that i do and the books that i write and things like that as well if that's of interest uh, and you can of course follow the podcast itself at my perfect console with the o's removed uh, each week i will be doing sort of previews of what guests are coming up and also reviews of the choices that previous guests have made as well so follow that if you're interested uh, if you would like to financially support the podcast go to acast plus you can become an early access supporter and uh, for just three pounds a month uh, not not very much i don't think less than the magazine uh, you will get your episodes 24 hours before the general public and ad free uh, even if you don't want to do that but you do have a spare 30 seconds and i'd really appreciate if you left a rating and a review for the podcast either on the podcast app or a rating on spotify or however it is you have found this and are listening to it it does help other people find the show Okay, only remains for me to say thank you so much for uh, joining me this week. Thank you to my guest Ellie, who uh, is just a, a wonderful person and such fun. And I think that came across in this episode. And uh, I'll be back again next week with one more guest, five games and another perfect console. Till then, bye-bye.